0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would illumine our minds by your Holy Spirit and open our hearts to receive your word and apply it to our lives, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, it's great to be with you all. We've been traveling for the last uh, two Sundays and not only have not been able to be here with our Ascension family, but not able to worship with any congregation, so it's a double blessing to see your shining faces this morning. This is the third and final sermon in our mini-series on Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I'm glad I got to go last because Father Jonathan and Deacon Josh paved the way for me, did some heavy lifting. Uh, But for the same reason, in the first part of the sermon, I wanna recap what we've covered over the last two weeks, both to refresh the memories of those who are here and to bring up to speed those who might not have been here like me. And it'll help us to uh, see the flow of Paul's thought leading up to this final chapter of Galatians, Galatians chapter six. So please attend to that text in your bulletin. That'll be the focus of our sermon this morning. So two weeks ago, Father Jonathan preached on Galatians 3, and he called our attention to the fundamental question that really lies at the heart of the entire epistle to the Galatians. What is the basis of our relationship with God? Do we come to God? trusting in our good deeds and religious practices? Or do we come to him on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ and all that God has done for us in Christ? As Father Jonathan pointed out, this question lies at the core of our identity as human beings. The clear teaching of Galatians, not to mention the rest of the entire Bible, is that the whole human race shares a massive character flaw. We are lawbreakers. We are sinners. This is who and what we are as human beings. We know perfectly well the things we shouldn't do, and yet we keep on choosing to do them. And even when we know what the right thing is, we are very good at convincing ourselves not to do it. This is the mystery of human iniquity that we have been pondering as a human, as a race, for since time immemorial. And Paul himself acknowledges this mystery in Romans chapter seven. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I do. We are lawbreakers, we are sinners. This is who and what we are as human beings. Now, this is not all that we are, but it is certainly not less than we are. And this is why every time we gather for worship, We acknowledge and confess that we've sinned against God in thought, word, and deed, by what? And by what? Very good, gold star. And we'll do that again this morning after this sermon. So from this perspective, we see the futility of trying to win God's love and favor through our own efforts, efforts that are inevitably doomed to fail. And this leads us to Father Jonathan's second point, that if we are in Christ, then we have become something more than lawbreakers and sinners. We have become God's beloved children, adopted members of God's own family. This is our new identity as human beings. The fact that we struggle with sin is not the only true thing about us. In Christ, our identity is child of God. Now, what does this mean? It means that because we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to try to justify ourselves on the basis of our own goodness. Instead, we're loved and accepted by God on the basis of Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection. And we can rest in the reality that in Christ, even though we continue to struggle with sin, we are embraced and forgiven and accepted and loved as members of god's own family friends this is core stuff this is christianity 101 and if you like me were raised in a religious tradition that gave you the message intended or otherwise that your relationship with god somehow depended upon how good and religious you are then this word is for you if you are in christ then before you are anything else in this world you are a child of God. If you are in Christ, then before you are anything else in this world, you are a child of God. Your life is hidden in Christ, and you are loved and accepted by God, not on the basis of your performance, not on the basis of how much you've done for him, but purely on the basis of his love for you in Jesus Christ. Now, if this is an area of struggle for you, because if we've been raised in in this kind of tradition, it may be hard to believe this is true, I strongly encourage you to spend time in the epistle to the Galatians, read it through, meditate on it. However, this raises a question for us as it did for the Galatians. If faith in Jesus is the only basis of our relationship with God, why should we struggle with sin? What is the purpose of trying to live a godly life? Well, this leads us to Josh's sermon on Galatians 5 last week. If we're in Christ, then not only do we belong to God, not only are we now children of God, but we have also been given the Spirit of God. And what is the Spirit's purpose in our lives? And Paul spends all of chapter five of Galatians talking about this. What is the Spirit seeking to accomplish? As Josh pointed out, the Spirit seeks to lead us into freedom from bondage to sin in order to live a life of love. Freedom from bondage to sin in order to live a life of love. Love of God and love of neighbor. And so Paul writes in Galatians 5, you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul then lays out for us in Galatians 5, two choices that always face us in our life in Christ. We can choose to walk in the way of the Spirit, in a way that bears the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit that Josh talked about last week and walk into freedom from sin and a life of love, a life that looks like Jesus, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Romans 8. Or we can choose to continue to walk in the way of our flesh, indulging our worst inclinations, which of course only leads to greater bondage to sin and fear and ultimately to our own destruction. Friends, this is the spiritual battle we face each day as children of God. Will we choose to be willing victims of our own passions and desires? Or will we crucify them, as Paul says, and walk in the way of the Spirit? Will we remain in bondage to sin and self? Or will we choose to walk into the freedom and love of the Spirit? Now, Paul drives this point home with his sober warning from our passage today. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. This is Paul's great desire for the Galatians and this is God's great desire for us today, that we would walk in the Spirit, increasingly in freedom from sin, and in love for God and for one another. Yes, we are saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our faith. But that salvation, that deliverance from the power of sin in our lives can begin now. Well, this brings us to Galatians chapter six, our passage for today. And here we see Paul's thinking coming down to very concrete points of application. How do we do this? How do we walk in the way of the Spirit? And very importantly, how do we help each other walk in the way of the Spirit? How do we walk together as the adopted family of God, as brothers and sisters in the Lord? Well, Paul begins by addressing the fact that in our struggle against sin, we all inevitably fail. This is why we trust in the grace of God and not in ourselves because we inevitably fail. And while we can experience real freedom and growth through the Spirit now, it doesn't happen overnight, or at least rarely does it happen overnight. Like a tree that bears fruit, spiritual growth is slow and incremental. And part of the process that growth requires is that we die to the works of the flesh and live to the way of the Spirit. Now, Paul gives the Galatians very concrete instructions for how to address the reality of sin in their community, even as they seek to walk in the way of the Spirit. How do we walk together in the Spirit, even as we continue to be a community of redeemed sinners? Well, to begin with, in Galatians 6, Paul says that we should respond to our fellow Christian sin with understanding and compassion. We respond to our fellow Christian sin with understanding and compassion. My friend says Paul, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, isn't this what we need in our struggle against sin? Don't we need the understanding and compassion of our brothers and sisters in Christ? And yet Paul's words often stand in contrast to the attitude towards moral failure we not only see in the culture around us, but even in the church oftentimes. Instead of compassion, we too often rush to judgment. Instead of understanding, we are too often eager to condemn. We too often have little concern to restore those who have fallen. Instead, we rush to dissociate ourselves from them and cast them into outer darkness. Now let me be clear, religious leaders who abuse their authority need to be held accountable and subject to discipline. There's no question about this. However, too often, in my opinion, especially on social media, Christians in self-righteous indignation attack and smear the reputations of fellow Christians rather than seek to show them compassion and bring them to restoration. Neither of these is honoring to the name of Jesus Christ. But closer to home, this judgmental attitude and lack of compassion can deeply affect our closest relationships in our friendships and in our families. And it's so important that we attend to this, friends. Rather than seeking to support those we love in their struggle against sin, we often pull away and distance ourselves as we condemn them in our thoughts. I've seen husbands do this to wives. I've seen wives do this to husbands. I've seen parents and children do this to one another. But how can we do this if we're bound to one another not only by the bonds of marriage and family, but as fellow members of the family of God? Now I think one reason we're tempted to judge our fellow Christians in this way rather than respond with compassion and understanding is that we've all been shaped by the modern myth of the self-sufficient individual. We're taught from a mother's knee that our goal in life is to be socially independent, financially self-sufficient, autonomous individuals who can overcome the challenges of life without help from anybody. And if this is how we see the world, then we naturally are inclined to view the Christian life in the same way. If you've got a problem, deal with it. And if you're not able to, then you're clearly not cut out to be a Christian. How often do we encounter this very attitude in the church today? But is this the way of Jesus Christ? Is this the way of the Holy Spirit? No, of course not. We are in this together, friends. This is what it means to be the church. As God's adopted children, we're called to be the body of Christ. A spiritual community a spiritual family that cares for one another if we are true friends in Christ we will not abandon one another in our time of spiritual need we will come alongside each other in compassion and understanding on this point I think there's an old there's an old saying that I think is worth bearing in mind there but for the grace of God go I I often say this to myself when I'm tempted to pass judgment on others It acknowledges the reality that we all face if we're actually honest with ourselves. I too am a sinner. I too am capable of doing terrible things. I too am saved only by the grace of God. And if I am saved by grace, then I should grant that same grace to others and respond to them with compassion and understanding. Having said that, Paul goes on to give us a word of caution. He says that we need to exercise wisdom when we're dealing with the sins of others. Paul makes this clear in his very next sentence. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. When we come alongside those who are struggling with sin, we also need to be aware of our own areas of spiritual weakness and vulnerability. Are you a new spiritually young Christian? Or are you already somehow implicated in this person's struggle? If so, you may not be the best person to try to help them. Or are they struggling with an area of temptation that's also a temptation for you? Then it may be best if others besides you engage the situation. Or maybe you've been wounded by the sin of others in a way that's related to this person's struggle. If so, again, it may not be wise for you to be the person who becomes involved. This is why pastors and therapists who counsel people professionally often refer people to other counselors when their issues strike too close to home. And this is why it's always a good idea when you're uncertain how to deal with a situation, to refer the situation to someone on the pastoral staff. Now, Clint Eastwood isn't a great actor, but he's one of my favorite actors, partly because I love Westerns and the movie Unforgiven is one of my favorites. But he's delivered some of the best lines in movie history, as far as I'm concerned. And one of my favorite lines is, a man's got to know his limitations, or a man's got to know his limitations, right? After almost 60 years of being a Christian, I'm very aware of my limitations. And I trust, and, and personally, I think this is part of what it means to become holy over time as a Christian, simply to become aware those areas in our lives that we get tripped up if we're not careful, and to learn how to avoid those areas, right? Well, even though I'm a priest and have counseled many people, I know there are some situations that I should not engage, both for my sake and for the sake of the person. So on the one hand, we're not free to distance ourselves from those who are struggling. But on the other hand, we need to exercise wisdom and sound spiritual judgment as we seek to help them. And if we're uncertain how to address the situation, then we call upon the wise counsel of pastors or mature Christians. Well, having issued this cautionary note, Paul now goes on to what is really the heart of chapter six and one of the great quotable quotes of scripture. He says, bear one another's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, for many years, I thought of this verse as simply another way of Scripture telling us that we should kind of generically care for one another as members of the body of Christ. And of course, it does mean that. We remember the new law that Jesus gives to his disciples at the Last Supper, love one another just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. So to bear one another's another's burden certainly means, in general, that we should love one another in the same way Jesus loved us selflessly, self-sacrificially, serving one another in humility. But in this context of Galatians 6, it's very clear, undeniably clear, that Paul has in mind that to bear one another's burdens includes bearing the burden of one another's sin. As Jesus bore all our sins for our sake on the cross, so we are called to imitate him by bearing with each other and supporting each other in our struggle with sin. And this means to be willing to embrace the very wounds and scars that our brothers and sisters bear because of sin. Now, this will at times be painful as the sins of those we love inevitably spill over into our lives. And the temptation, of course, is to pull away. This is not easy stuff. But Paul's message is clear. We do not have permission to pull away and distance ourselves in judgment from our husband or our wife or our parent or our child or our friend. We do not have permission to pull away and distance ourselves in judgment. Nor, of course, should we allow ourselves to be drawn into their sin in an ungodly and unhealthy way, as I've just said. Rather, we're called to stand in the gap for each other, to have each other's back in our struggle with sin, to help shoulder one another's burden, and to encourage and support one another as we seek to grow into the freedom and fruit of God's Spirit. This is what Paul means here in Galatians when he commands us to bear one another's burdens. Well, N.T. Wright, in typically blunt fashion, puts it this way. So as Jesus the Messiah carried the cross for others, Christians must carry one another's burdens. If my neighbor sins today, I must remember that it may well be me tomorrow. And if it is my responsibility to help put things right, I must do it, full stop. Now, to be clear, we are not Jesus. We will never be Jesus, and we shouldn't try to be Jesus. We're not capable of redeeming anyone from their sin. But as God's community of redeemed sinners... Through his grace and spirit given to us as children of God, we're able to serve one another as God's instruments of healing and freedom from the power of sin so that we can all grow up into the people made in God's image that we were created to be. That is Paul's desire for the Galatians and God's desire for us. Friends, this is nothing less than the power of the gospel at work in our lives. It is the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ at work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same power can work through us in the lives of others, that we can become means of grace in their lives. As we have been redeemed, forgiven, and led by God's Spirit into lives that look more and more like Jesus, so we, in turn, can be means of grace in each other's lives. Amen? Now, there's one more point I need to make on this subject before I conclude, and it's this, and you'll have to forgive me for my little play on words, but in order to let others others bear our burdens, B-E-A-R, we also need to be willing to bear those burdens, B-A-R-E, to them. I hope you followed me. As an old boss of mine used to say, you can't have what you don't ask for. And if we aren't willing to acknowledge our spiritual brokenness and need for deliverance and healing from sin, then we're probably going to remain stuck in that bondage to that particular sin. It's really not that complicated, right? This is God's way of together helping us to experience and grow into freedom from bondage to sin in our lives. But it is scary, and it almost always is painful, right? And if there's a part of your life that's stuck in bondage to sin, something you're desperately afraid to tell anyone else about, then I want to suggest to you the following. First, consider asking one of our priests here at Ascension to hear your confession. This is completely private and absolutely confidential. And it can be a wonderful, grace-filled opportunity to finally tell someone about that thing you're struggling with, that thing that's got your number that you don't want anyone else to know about. No one will judge you because we're all sinners. We're all capable of doing anything. They will listen to you. They will pray with you. They will counsel you. And they will declare you forgiven in Jesus Christ. And if it's not too scary for you, I strongly encourage you to do that if sharing it with others is still too much. But if for some reason that doesn't sit right with you, the idea of private confession is too Catholic or whatever, then I urge you to seek seek out a Christian friend who you know you can trust and talk to them about it. As long as these areas of sin remain hidden in the shadows, they continue to have power over us. But when we step out into the light of God's love and grace, then we can begin to gain freedom from them. Then we can walk more fully into the way and fruit of the Holy Spirit. Friends, my prayer for Church of the Ascension, as well as honestly for the church in America as a whole, is that we will remember that we are called by God to be a people who graciously bear each other's burdens as we all seek to grow into the image of Christ. That we will be a community of love and grace and forgiveness. Whether it's in our families or our community groups or in the natural friendships we form here, let us be a people who are slow to judge and quick to forgive who are willing to come alongside each other in sympathy and compassion, to support each other in our life in Christ, who are instruments in each other's lives of God's grace and healing. We have all been saved by the grace of God and made members of God's family. So let us walk by the Spirit and not indulge the passions of the flesh. And let us bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ.